Welcome back to the Recalibrate podcast. I'm your host, JC, and each week I talk about my experience in ways that I've made small shifts in certain areas to improve my mindfulness, mental health, and happiness. On today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing one of my friends, Shervin, also known as Shervin Shares on YouTube. Shervin is a YouTuber who shares stories of experiments to find balance and happiness in life, most recently with a lot of videos on health wearables like the Aura, Whoop, and Apple Watch Ultra, but he's also one of my good friends. Shervin, welcome to the podcast. How's it going today? Good. How about you? Thank you for having me. (laughs) Good, good. It's very appropriate that you're one of my first podcast guests because I've been thinking about starting this podcast for a very long time. And a year ago, I actually tried to convince you to start the podcast with me, if you remember, which you obviously didn't because you all have been listening to my solo episodes for the last couple of months. But you're one of the people who actually inspired me to make the podcast and create content because of me watching you do your own content on YouTube. So thank you. Otherwise, I don't think I would have started the podcast without you. (laughs) I I do remember you asking and I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. But like, I don't know if I have the time. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so happy that you started the podcast. So I think the story of how we met and then became close friends is honestly a testament to both of our saying yes and growth mindsets. So we met through Core Power Yoga. I actually took one of Shervin's classes. We then talked on Instagram. So what made you initially reach out the first time that we spoke? I had a curiosity for moving to New York City. And I think I saw that you tagged New York and I was like, all right, maybe I'll ask her for advice and opinion on what it's like. I was wondering if New York was interesting enough to live in. So I reached out. And I was like, hey, is it cool to live in New York City? What's it like? Should I do it? Yeah, I remember you came to the city. I think the first message that you sent me was like, is there anything to do in New York City besides eat or drink? Okay, to be fair, what I heard everyone was saying was, hey, if you go to New York, everyone just likes to eat and drink and that's it. And it's like a party scene. And I was like, I want to live a healthy lifestyle. Can I still do that there? <laughs> so you you came to New York City for a test trial weekend. And then we went to a yoga class. I think we went to cryotherapy one of the first times that we hung out. What about that weekend made you want to move to New York City? What excited you about it? I think I just realized that there's a lot more here than I thought. Like there was a massive health and wellness scene, fitness, like there's so many fitness studios. There was like all this recovery stuff. And I realized, okay, this is the place to be. I love the vibe. I love the energy. And I just love really busy, crowded places. And that's when I was like, I need to move here. One of the things that I love about you is that you're always down to try a lot of different activities. Were you always like this? Or do you think this is something that you developed over time? I think I developed it over time. I think growing up, I was very hesitant. I was very timid and scared and shy. And in college, I was like, I'm going to become the person who is fun. (laughs) I am going to actually like experience life. And ever since then, it's been a a process, right? It's not like I instantly turn into that. But every day I'm like, I need to say yes to things. I need to experience. I need to like go out there in the world. And honestly, since college, I've lived in a new city every year. So it's been like I've been trying new things all the time. And now I'm like, okay, let's pull it back. Let's be a little more stable and consistent. What was the last thing that you tried for the first time? The last thing that I tried for the first time? Ooh, that's a good question. What did I try? Running. Maybe running. I would say running for the first time. Yeah, running is new for you. Yeah, this is a new thing for me. I recently got into running, and I always disliked cardiovascular workouts. I disliked running because it just felt so monotonous and boring. Mm-hmm. But I gave it a shot. I was like, you know, let's let's try it. And then it just became this thing that I actually really enjoy. Yeah, and look at you now. You're running 10 miles on the weekends, <laughs> your new activity. So let's go back to the beginning and get into your background a bit. I think most people would not guess about either of us is that growing up, we were both very shy. How do you feel like you've changed from when you were younger to now? I'm not even recognizable. I remember like I had two or three friends in high school and, and middle school and acquaintances, but 
I didn't have a large group of friends. I wasn't part of the cool crowd. Most of my days were just like school, swimming, homework, sleep. And today it's like, there's so many different activities I'm involved in. I, I feel like I'm doing a much better job of connecting with others. And I feel like I have a larger group of people that I can call my friends. Is there an age that you noticed that shift start to happen? Or do you feel like it just happened randomly? Like, what do you think cultivated that? I think there's two factors. One was like dedication and desire to want to be like that. So just putting in the effort and being in uncomfortable situations. And the second piece was changing my environment. So just leaving my parents' house and moving into a new city for college and having a environmental change made it easier. So the combination of those two things were like a catalyst for me to grow and become a, a different person. Interesting. And you said you've moved to a different city almost every year since that point. How has that been? Like, has that been hard or is the change something that you like? It's it's a double-edged sword. Now I have friends in numerous cities that I can go visit, which mm -hmm. is amazing. And at the same time, it's very hard to build deep relationships with people. So that's kind of one of my goals now is I want to stay in a city for a longer period of time. I want to have deeper relationships for a longer period of time. And yeah, the changing cities helped with the trying to make new friends, the whole being more social aspect, because each time you go to a new place, you don't really know anybody and you have to step outside your comfort zone and you have to create that friend group. So that was really valuable. But at the same time, it's like you can't keep doing that because now you're, <laughs> you're not going to have like real long lasting friends. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a muscle that you have to continually flex and mm -hmm. continuing to put yourself in that situation probably helped you be able to make friends easier. 100%. Interesting. So I'm always interested to know this. When you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, what was the first career and you were in kindergarten or second grade? Like, when they said, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? I wanted to be a surgeon. A surgeon. Yes. Okay. And for a very specific reason. <laughs> One, my parents were very insistent on becoming a doctor, lawyer, engineer, if not. But becoming a doctor was like prudent. And then <laughs> the second piece was surgeons made a lot of money. <laughs> so I wanted to have a Lamborghini. I wanted to have a big mansion. <laughs> and I wanted to be a surgeon. Obviously, if you watch Sherman on YouTube, he did not become a surgeon. Where did you see that start to shift? Yeah, I think I realized that money is not the main goal in life. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, if I don't need the money, do I really need to become a surgeon? And I also dabbled a little bit in biology. And that was like the base to like pre-med. And, and then I was like, okay, there's a lot of school and a big process. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not passionate about this stuff. What am I actually passionate about? And how can I dive deeper into something that excites me innately rather than something that's an external force. Yeah, that is a perfect segue into our next topic. So a main thing I want to focus on this episode is finding your passion. How do you take the leap? How do you find something that really cultivates joy throughout your life? And one thing I admire about you and the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is your passion and drive for the things that you want to pursue. So you used to work a normal nine to five in tech as a software engineer. And then relatively recently, you quit your job to pursue YouTube full time because it was something that you were super passionate about. I think that this is probably something that's really scary for a lot of people because there's a lot of risk in it. But also, obviously, there's a lot of reward. How was your transition like from having your job, finding a different passion, quitting that and then moving to YouTube? Yeah. I guess in terms of finding your passion, I'll speak to that one first. Is like, what's your favorite fruit? My favorite fruit? Yeah. Blueberries. And how did you find out that blueberries is your favorite thing? <laughs> I guess I tried a lot of fruits. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the same thing happens with finding your passion. You have to try a lot of things. And for me, it's the same thing. You got to taste all the different flavors, see what you like. And then from there, you can figure it out. So if you're not willing to put yourself in different situations, different environments, different jobs, different experiences, you're never going to learn. Mm. So the first step is like taste them all. Okay. And then once you figure it out, then it's like, okay, 
for me, it was like, I want to create videos. I want to tell stories and create content. And I was like, okay, but you can't just like leap into it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to have a stable job. I need health insurance. Okay, so I need to be strategic in terms of how I do it. And with any big decision in life, it always takes a while, right? It's not like you wake up one day and you're like, I'm going to do this. Like I woke up and I was like, I'm going to do this. But my actions weren't actually doing what my head was saying mm -hmm. inside. So I thought about it. It took about six months of thinking and reflecting and consulting friends. And finally, I did a lot of fear setting, which is like outlining what's the worst case scenario, how can you mitigate the worst case scenario, and then what's the best case scenario. So that kind of allows you to figure out, all right, am I actually just avoiding this out of fear? And is there an opportunity cost to not making this risk? And from there, I realized, okay, there's such a high ceiling potential when it comes to having a job in this entrepreneurial digital content creation world that the longer I stay in this nine to five, the more I limit my income and revenue for the rest of my life. So I was like, okay, if that's the case, there's an opportunity cost to staying in this nine to five. And I actually need to just jump into my fears if I have the financial ability to do so. And that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to take savings investments that I luckily did while I was in that job. And I'm going to risk what I have there for this potential long-term gain of making that money back and hopefully some more and as well as enjoying my life. Hmm. Okay, that's very interesting. You touched on a lot of points. When you were in your nine to five job, were you unhappy, do you think? And you were just pursuing this on the side and that's what was bringing you happiness? Or were you fine in your nine to five, but like you were just mostly more excited about YouTube? Yeah, I think I was like subpar happy. I wasn't extremely upset and I wasn't excited about it. Mm. And that's not to say that you can't be excited about the nine to five because now there's like a common trend of, oh, you got to leave your job and pursue <laughs> your dreams. Like, Maybe your job is fun. Yeah, the great resignation <laughs> Exactly, uh, we've been like, seeing a lot about. <laughs> if you enjoy your job, stay in it. Like, that's a great place to be. But for me, it was like, I wasn't, I don't know. I, I think I'm just the person who just, I can't operate inside of a nine to five window. I want to have the flexibility of work where I can work longer than that or less than that and be able to be the driver of how things go. So if I don't do a good job, you know, I don't make money that week. Or if I do a really good job, I make a lot more money that week. I wanted more variability. Mm, that's interesting. Was that the thing that you were most excited about in pursuing it? I think so. I've, I always wanted to start my own business. Like that was a big thing growing up when I was a kid. And this is some sort of media business. So I view it as like a media startup. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I feel like it is that in a way. Mm -hmm. Cool. Is there anything that you wish you did differently in the transition? I wish I saved more money earlier on. And I wish that I had made these tough, risky decisions faster. Interesting. Yeah. So how long were you working as a software engineer? So I worked as a software engineer for about a year, year and a half. And then, and you then were so, so that product <laughs> manager, right? Yeah. So my story has multiple waves. I okay. did software engineer for a year and a half. I quit that to taste to figure out what my passion was. Mm -hmm. So I spent about a year and a half exploring and that's when I started teaching yoga. I kind of started my own videography business and tried to do weddings and random things like that. And at the end, I was like, I know what I want to make content about and what I want it to be. But then I became a product manager and I was still kind of in the tech space a little bit. So I did that. And then I was like, okay, I'm back to the nine to five. Maybe we need to take that risk again. And there was like this double fear of, oh, the first time I quit, my parents were like, okay, well, give yourself a year and let's see what happens. And if you don't, you got to get back into the world. And I was like, okay, well, I technically failed the first time. Am I mm -hmm. going to fail the second time? So it was kind of hard to do it twice, but... It just felt like the right thing to do. And that's when I was like, all right, I know what I want to do this time. I tasted in the first round. The second round is like, I have a goal. I'm going to chase after it and I got to give it all I got. Mm, that's really interesting. And and that fear of failure, 
I think that's probably something that a lot of people are scared about. Do you think that's a pressure that you mostly put on yourself or was it something that you were experiencing from your parents and family or friends? Like, where do you think that came from? I think both. Friends are probably a little more supportive. Family was definitely very like, you know, money is the driver and the metric of success in a way. And even if you do make money, it's like, are you going to make money for the next 40 years? Are you going to make enough money to support a family, to support kids, to buy a house? So it's it's always adding up. So that pressure was there. And then the only pressure in my head of, you know, I have a certain standard of who I want to be and how I want to live. And I feel like sometimes I'm falling behind my friends. Even now, when I look at them, I'm like, damn, like they're doing so well in comparison to me. And that becomes really hard sometimes. So I need to take a step back and remember that I'm not competing against my friends. I'm competing against myself and I'm trying to chase a goal and a dream that I have. Yeah, I think being in your 20s and early 30s is weird because a lot of people are at very different stages in life. Like some people are still living at home with their parents. Some people are married and have kids and the whole spectrum between that. And it's definitely easy to compare yourself to those people and especially people who you think have it, quote unquote, all figured out. But pursuing your passion can feel very isolating, especially if you are leaving a typical corporate job where you could climb that classic route to success and then you take a risk and do something different. I think comparison definitely comes into play a lot. How do you deal with that? So, fun fact. <laughs> I always compare myself to my college friends. Like I have a group of college friends that I quote unquote compare myself. When we all graduated, like we shared our salaries and we still do to this day. Mine's zero, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but when we graduated, I graduated and got a job with the highest salary out of all those friends. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, oh my God, Sherman, you're so smart. Like you know, touted as the quote unquote best one at that time, right? And when I took the risk, when I took all these risks since those years, I've never actually made more than I did in my first job out of college. But looking back on it now, all of these people are doing extremely well. Like they're making four, five times more than what we did right out of college. And I kind of trended the other direction. So in terms of comparison, I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter where you start. Sure, leader of the pack or behind the pack, but all of them progressed in a direction of like, they're making this much money. I would say 70% of that friend group has bought a home. Half of them at least are married. One of them has a kid. And I'm over here like, what am I doing with my life? So in those moments, I try to remind myself that, okay, they decided to go down a totally different path. And I can't compare myself to that. Like I chose a path of more entrepreneurial, a higher risk, potentially higher reward and potentially not. But this is kind of the journey that I'm on. And, and then there's no way that I can compare like money and other things like that with what they're doing because my life is totally different. Sure, they might be working like four to six hours a day in their nine to five and making a ton of money. But is that a life that I would want? Would I be able to be happy doing that? Personally, I wouldn't. And if they're happy, great. Like that's the metric that we should be comparing against. Like what's your happiness level? And if we're all happy, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that is really interesting. And I read this book, once that was very comforting to me in this topic that was like it's very easy to romanticize lives that you haven't lived and you only ever know all of the pros and cons of the life that you're currently living so of course you can be like oh if i just did this other thing or had this other life maybe it could be like this because you don't know you only know the pros and the cons and like good bad and ugly of what you're experiencing right now So I think that's interesting, like thinking about what other people are doing and then asking yourself, like, is this something I actually would even want to do? 
Exactly. And then looking back, grass will always be greener on the other side. And you'll always think of like, what would have happened if I did X? But you never know. And like you're in the life today. And I regret no decision that I've made. Like could argue that, yeah, maybe I'm not in the best situation right now. But I do see like a positive trend in the direction that I want to go. And that for me is important enough to be like, okay, as long as I know in the next five, 10 years, like I'm working towards that. And if I'm trending in the right direction right now, I'm happy and I'm confident. Yeah, I feel like that's a very good outlook. And this is something a lot of people struggle with, obviously, comparison. Even though you are struggling with that, I think one thing that you have achieved is obviously figuring out what your passion is and how you can have a deeper fulfillment in your life. Obviously, finding your passion doesn't mean you have to quit your job, like you said, and going all in on something. And there's a lot of ways to explore that. But I think a lot of people are looking for that and searching how they can find what they're passionate about. And they tend to get distracted by superficial or materialistic things. One of my friends calls it counterfeit pleasure, which are things on the surface that are marketed to bring you happiness but don't actually leave a lasting impact. So a big vacation or looking a certain way or scrolling on social media and things like that. And this is something someone is struggling with. How did you find out YouTube was something that you were interested in? Mm. I thought I had nothing in life is easy. Like no matter what you're doing, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And I think part of it is not chasing an end goal, but it's rather just enjoying the process. And it's like, do you enjoy the process of X, Y, Z? And if that's a yes, then you're passionate about that. It's not about, I want to be this amazing person in this field. It's about enjoying the process throughout it. But in terms of like, how did I find out that this was my passion? I think I looked at what were my natural tendencies. If I had like $10 million and I could do whatever I wanted, what would I do? And if, when I was growing up as a kid, like what were the things that I enjoyed playing with the most? What were the things that I just gravitated towards? Uh, and, and for me, that was like technology. I always loved gadgets and tech. And, and I also loved video cameras. I remember I wrote a letter to my dad asking him <laughs> to buy me the newest video camera. He said no, but <laughs> that's like a moment that I'll never forget. It's like, oh, I just wanted the newest video camera so I could shoot better videos. And I didn't need it. But that was like a reminder of what are the things that I really, really enjoy. And I enjoyed recording. I enjoyed documenting. And I enjoyed playing with tech and playing with computers. So that's when I was like, okay, maybe I need to do more of that. And the more I do of that, the more energized I feel and the more I just get excited about things. Hmm. What was the first thing that you ever recorded? Like when you were a little kid, what did you want these video cameras for? I don't remember all the things that I recorded. I remember, you know, I did the skits and stuff in high school. But when I was like really young, we traveled to Iran with my family and I was recording everything <laughs> we did there. And part of the thing is like my dad grew up in a village. So when we visited the village, they were so excited and, and they sacrificed the lamb for us. And there's a whole process to how they do it. And no, <laughs> like it's video. pretty like <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> it's graphic, let's say. And I was just like so set on recording the entire process. And I remember I recorded everything. I'm not going to say what would happen, but oh my, God. my parents were like, why did you do this? And they filmed over the recording. <laughs> and I was so upset. Oh I was God. like, I was like, I captured everything. And I was so excited about it. And they recorded over it. And I was, I was so upset. But that was a moment. <laughs> I think I was like nine years old. And I just loved the process of having the little tape in my hand and like getting everything, like running and chasing the lamb down the village. And then like they captured the lamb and I was like, you know, I was recording it all. Oh my God, this could have gone viral. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then they lost the footage. That's that's terrible. They intentionally recorded over it. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it sounds like this is still a, a sensitive subject for you. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the first, when did you start doing YouTube? Like when was the first time you posted a video to YouTube? 2016, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, I guess the first time I posted to YouTube, I unlisted a lot of videos. I posted it privately because I was just experimenting. Mm. But I did post like random things here and there of, I don't know, stuff that I captured, whether it was a montage from college or a cool computer science project that I had just posted the random videos, but nothing with intention of trying to get it out there. So it wasn't always your focus to have like health and wellness type content on your YouTube? No, that was another exploratory phase of like, you know, I had to taste it and see what did I enjoy capturing? What did I enjoy sharing content about? And I think that was a whole nother process. And then recently, I would say in the past year, I figured out that that was what I wanted to focus on. Interesting. I think when people see people like us that have something that they're passionate about so like for me it would be yoga for you youtube they assume that it came really easily to us or that it's something that we were born with just like deep passion for something and of course there's like child prodigies which were in us and some people are lucky enough to find it from a really young age but what i think that most people don't realize is that it tends to stem from a time of adversity or a more negative time in your life at least for me like for example yoga is a huge part of my life but something that i only picked up in the last like five to six years and i found it because i was really struggling with anxiety and nothing was working i was waking up every day feeling super anxious i was just going through life feeling awful and when i came across yoga that was the first time i had a sense of relief from all of the noise all of the thoughts that i was experiencing and it wasn't just the relief that you get from a distraction or from scrolling on social media or something like that. It was a lasting relief that I felt started to really impact my life in a positive way. And the reason I became a yoga teacher is because I wanted to be able to provide that relief and that feeling and state change for other people and be a catalyst for that. So people looking at my life now might be like, oh, you just innately have what you're passionate about. You've always had it. And it's so nice that you have that sense of community, but it actually came out of not a great period for me. Do you think you have a similar story with that? Or what was the reason that you got into either health and wellness or with YouTube in general? Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I think it was something similar. I think when I graduated college, it was like I checked all the boxes of like, okay, I finished school, I got a job. And then I was like, what's next? Like, do I do this for the rest of my life? And I was like, I'm not happy. <laughs> what What am I doing? And I think that was the biggest driver. While I was at that job, I was trying to research, oh, what is gratitude? How do you find happiness and joy? And I was trying to build a startup on the side around like gratitude journaling. And I realized that that wasn't gonna solve the problem. I had to really own what made me happy and own what was exciting to me and not live 90% of my life doing things that weren't enjoyable. Mm. And I think that's when I was like, okay, I need to make a big change. And that's when I quit my job. And I was scared. I had no idea what I was going to do. But during that time, I was still struggling with what brings me joy, what makes me feel good, what makes me feel happy. And it was a process. And I think that's also the same reason I found yoga was like, oh, I've heard yoga is good for you. It's supposed to make <laughs> you feel good. Like, let's just try it. And that was definitely one stepping stone. But it was a long process. It took a long time of exploration and experimentation. But it came from like a place of I just don't feel joy. And how can I figure this out. What do I need to do to get to a place where I can wake up and say, I'm happy or I wake up and I'm, I'm actually like, I want to do what I'm going to do today. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think probably a lot of people watching your videos just seem like you have it all together and like your life is perfect and you're this happy guy all the time. But really, it's something that everyone struggles with. And the reason you got into this content in the first place is because you were also someone that was searching for that. 
Yeah, and I would say I haven't figured it all out, you know? Oh, <laughs> neither have I. The whole reason I started this podcast is the same thing. I think both of us try a lot of things all the time because we are still figuring it exactly. out. And we definitely don't have it figured out at all. I think we just are people that like to experiment with a lot of different things. And I think both of us are very data-driven, which is why we have a lot of health wearables. But I think it's because we're looking for feedback on things. And we constantly are trying to try different things out reflect did it work did it not work did that make me happy is this adding value to my life yeah exactly it's like a never-ending process yeah I feel like it's going to be until the end of life it's like that's one thing to know it's not like <laughs> any of us have figured out but uh, the reason of like why i started creating content was during that time period of struggle of excessive struggle i should say the last struggle today was i would watch other creators and i was like oh I, w I aspire to be like that or like even just watching and experiencing someone else's life brought me joy like that kind of escapism. And I was like, this makes me feel good. If I'm able to use this as a tool, then what if as I went through this journey, I started to share positive things so that way other people could use that mm. for themselves. And that's kind of part of the reason that inspired me to create content was like, if you don't have a friend or a family member or anyone close to you that can provide you that sense of positivity or kind of the mental attitude of trying to get better and grow, then finding someone having like a parasocial relationship is like the next best thing. You know, it's not the best thing, but it's the next best thing. And if you can have that, I think there's a lot of value in that. So I had that and I wanted to provide that to others. Yeah, that's amazing. I think we have very similar journeys of like, we found something we were passionate about. It really helped us at whatever time that we needed it. And we wanted to be able to do that for other people. I love that. To go back to a little bit of what we said before, change and pursuing your passion can sometimes feel really isolating, especially if you're not surrounded by people that are interested in the same things that you're in or they're in that typical nine to five job or they just have a completely different, like they operate outside of your circle. I've struggled with this and I think I, sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on quote unquote, like having fun in your twenties and all these like crazy experiences that people are having, especially in New York City by not being that interested in drinking or going out and really finding fulfillment in other things. But I think one thing that has helped me start to turn the corner on this is by surrounding myself with people people who are interested in similar things that I am. Did you feel like that at all when you were kind of leaving your job and then pursuing this new path? Oh, 100%. I think that was a big reason I also wanted to leave my job is like, a lot of my friends enjoyed that they enjoyed going out, you know, drinking on the weekends, maybe even weekdays. And it was just like, this kind of fun that just didn't tear to my like, it was just something I enjoyed, you know, if people enjoy it, great, do it. But it just wasn't my flavor. Mm -hmm. Like, I like watermelon, but I don't like pineapple. So they like pineapple. And I was like, I want watermelon. So yeah, it, I, it also took me a while because society's wired yeah. to like for these experiences. And I would say a majority of people like to do that. So for me, it was hard to kind of detach because it was like, okay, if I don't do these experiences, these people are going to talk to me less and I'm going to have less friends and then maybe no friends. So like, how do I figure that out? Um, and it comes with like a level of, you need to have confidence in yourself as well as like, finding people who do enjoy other types of experiences. And that took a while. I would say from like 22 to 25 after college, like that was a big struggle. It wasn't until I hit 25 that I was like, all right, I'm going to make the leap and disconnect and only focus on the friends that like to live a healthy life. And like we can have activities that are still exciting and fun, but they're more health-based. Yeah. 
Yeah, one of my favorite things is like whenever I want to do some random health or wellness activity, I know that you will always be down to try it with me. I think we've tried everything from ice baths to cryotherapy chambers, saunas, just like crazy experiences. We've, we've sat them all. <laughs> At this point, we've got to make a show about every single one in New York. We really should. Sherman shares on YouTube if you want to subscribe. No, but I think I think having a circle and like surrounding yourself with people that have the same goals and values as you is really important. And there's a huge benefit to building that circle. One thing that I actually heard you say that I always think about is someone asked you how you make friends who embody the same values or characteristics that you're looking for. And you said you don't make friends, you are the friend, which I thought was very insightful. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned is I think it comes from not having a lot of friends in a lot of situations. <laughs> you have to be the one who takes the initiative, right? You have to be the one who like starts and creates the friend group because I have moved so much and because and the, <laughs> and the environment's always changing. It's like every time I go to this new city, I don't, I can't just like show up and be like, oh, will anyone invite me? Like, <laughs> you know, you have to be the one that like goes out there and says, hey, I want to go to this ice bath event. Will you come with me? It's inviting people to do things. And that's a big mindset of like, all right, I don't know XYZ person. Like I barely knew you. And I was like, let's go to cryotherapy together. Leveraging social media. Like if you see someone who posts something that has similar interest in you, invite them to go do something with you. Like the easiest one is obviously coffee, but doing an activity, let's go for a run together. Like let's go do this like boat ride together. That's That's the best way to create friendships is like be the friend who's inviting people to do fun things. And the more likely they'll want to hang out with you. Yeah, I think that's a very good sentiment. And also for context, I think that first time we hung out and we went to cryotherapy. For those of you who don't know, cryotherapy is basically you dress up in gloves, hat, mittens, all of these things. You get really bundled up and then you go into this freezing chamber. How cold is it? It was like minus 150 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) And you go in, you can go in with another person for moral support, which we did. And then you basically just stare at each other in this like foggy cold chamber (laughs) for three minutes. And like, what are the benefits of it? Yeah, it's all disputed, but supposedly (laughs) it it, like optimizes recovery and... I know cold cold showers and like ice baths can help with like increasing dopamine. So they say a lot of the benefits of like ice baths are also related in cryotherapy. Um, some people might argue differently, but you know, you do feel good after you're like exhilarated. Yeah. And that actually did become like a fun activity that I was trying to invite as many people to go do was like, let's go to cryotherapy because it's just like fun. It's exhilarating. It gets you feeling really good and it's unique. Yeah. Yeah. And back to our say yes mindset that we talked about in the beginning of this episode, I think they're obviously the reason why we (laughs) have become friends is because we both just say yes to a lot of things. Like you'll say something crazy and I'll just come do it with you. But the first time when we were at that cryotherapy chamber, we signed a contract. Like (laughs) I think you probably forgot about this. I was thinking about it today. The first time I ever met Sherman, I had known him for maybe, what, six hours. And we go to this place. And we sign a six-month contract together to have a membership to this place. So now we're contractually bound to each other. And we didn't even know each other. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> but yeah, I remember I was like, oh, they had like this couple's membership. And we were like, yo, should we just split it? Like, that'd be great. And I was like, you know what? Why not? And then you were like, sure, why not? And then we just signed up. And I was like, what did we just sign up for? Yeah. <laughs> but but I was like, all right, this is these are my people. <laughs> like... That was fun. And then, yeah, we went to the cryotherapy and like they had a sauna. I love that place. Yeah, um, we should go but, back. Yeah, we should. <laughs> but I think the the mindset of like knowing what excites you. And I think for me, that was like a hell yes. Like I, I was like, oh, I really like this and all the services they provide. Like 
signing up for this membership is a hell yes and i think i felt like you felt the same thing about it too yeah. and we were like let's just do it like <laughs> we don't know what the worst case scenario is but we're just gonna sign up but that was fun like that showed that like okay i invited someone to be my friend and hang out and it's like all right they were so excited they want to keep doing these types of activities and that meant that we were going to do more activities like that and i think that inspired like the growth of that friendship from there yeah and you also touched on something that i always keep in mind that you taught me is like if it's not a hell yes, it should be a no. And I think that really helps to protect your time. Especially, I mean, a lot of people listening to the podcast have a full-time job or they're in school full-time and they have limited time outside of their obligated hours that they have to work. So when you have a lot going on, if people are asking you to do things and you feel like you're kind of going through life and you feel obligated to do these things and you're not really excited about them, really taking account of like, okay, what am I just saying yes to out of this obligation and what do I actually want to do? Yeah, and, and I think there's a scale. Like early on in life, you don't have a lot of things to do. So you just say yes to everything. Yeah. And that's part of that tasting and learning and growing. And then as you keep saying yes, 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 like that grows. And then you get so many inbound requests that it's like, okay, you can't <laughs> handle them all. And then you have to slowly convert to like, all right, I need to start filtering everything and saying hell yes to certain things and saying no to other things. And like that scale of how many things you say no to increases because you've understood like all right these are my people and these are the people i want to hang out with and then these are the activities i want to do and you only have a limited time once you get to that point so you need to understand like all right i can't do it all yeah it's really important to take account of everything that you're doing on a weekly basis and figure out what are those things that are bringing you joy moving on aside from yoga one of the things that we initially bonded over is our mutual love of all things technology and i always joke with shervin that I'm going to Venmo request him for our friendship because he has cost me a lot of money with all of the things that he has shown me. If you've ever met Sherman in real life or watched his videos, the first thing that you'll notice is that he looks like a bionic man at all times. He has no less than probably six wearables on. But both Sherman and I tend to be like early adopters of things and are willing to try stuff out before it gets really popular. What do you think made you this way? Like, were you always an early adopter of things or like, yeah. how did this come about? I think it goes back to the natural tendency thing. I always love tech, always love gadgets. Like wearing all these things isn't really going to change your life. Like it can, maybe one or two of them. But I just have this obsession and like it brings me joy to, <laughs> to wear all this stuff. Like people look at me crazy and I'm like, yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> but I do like it. Like, I'm sorry. And like that makes me weird and quirky and I'm going to own it and I'm going to live it. But I, I can't explain why, mm. but I do know that I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, me too. I've always been interested in tech from like a young age. I loved video games. My mom was like this. I used to joke around like other people's moms wanted like flowers and necklaces and jewelry. And like my mom just always wanted the new gadget, like every single year through and through a gadget person. And that definitely got passed down to me. I had every like Game Boy Advance, Nintendo Switch, GameCube, any gadget you could have. I had it when I was little. And I think it's this curiosity mindset that we both have. Of We want to explore and see how different things work and be able to optimize. But yeah, like what's one of your favorite gadgets that you've had? Favorite gadget, the Aura Ring or the Eight Sleep. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think because the Aura Ring was my very first like sleep tracker and really understanding how does alcohol, how does eating late impact my sleep so that was definitely one of the more interesting ones and then the eight sleep just because like it's a smart bed it cools me when i go to bed it's just had such a big impact on me sleeping a little bit better yeah and then in turn how you feel like during your day I'm exactly sure. yes what's the first tech gadget that you remember having Ooh. also first by the way gadget? the sun just set in sherman's apartment and he just turned on every light in his room using his phone so he's we're, we're really all the gadgets in here are you got to have all the yeah, tech. Yeah, you have to have all the tech. My first tech gadget, like, are we talking as a child? Yeah, so, like, what's the very first gadget you remember having and being excited about? 
Windows 95. <laughs> You're old. <laughs> I remember, so growing up, I loved going to Costco with my mom. Because then I would just walk around the textile. Like, for me, that was Disneyland. Like, yeah. just walking up and down, looking at the computers. I didn't need to buy anything. I just want to look at the computers. And I still do it to this day. Um, but I remember we bought this computer for the first time. And it had Windows 95. And I have a photo of me, too, where I'm sitting in front of it. It was in my bedroom. That's how much I loved it. I was like, Dad, can we put it in my room? Even though, like, he probably used it more than I did. But I just, it was like this big, one of those, I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah. No, I have. used to be really thick. Yes, I, I, I remember. <laughs> and it was one of those, and it had a gray beige keyboard and mouse and a CD drive. But that was that was probably the first thing I remember. Yeah, I, I was like that too when I was little. Like whenever I was sad, my dad knew how to make me happy was to take me to GameStop. And I would just like <laughs> walk up and down the aisles of GameStop and look at new video games. And that was back in the day where you like had to buy a book to figure out how to play the game like I had Pokemon guides to the game now you can just go on YouTube and look up everything yeah. but when I was little I spent so much time doing that so it's funny like it's... back to what you said about finding your passions it's oftentimes the stuff that we liked as a child that are the things that we like now yeah and I think if you're trying to find your passion figure out what you're excited about reflect on the things that you loved as a kid and if you're still unsure ask your family right parents siblings and find out like what what are the things that you remember that I enjoyed a lot what were the things that I just naturally enjoyed playing with or went towards and gravitated towards and figuring out what what those things are and then try to reintegrate those in your life if you don't have them today because that can really like excite and, and bring that passion back yeah I think that's really good advice um, a big focus of the podcast is how you can make small shifts to either help you live a happier or more mindful life and I think a lot of times something that I struggle with with technology is constantly trying to balance tech and like the optimization piece with incorporating mindfulness and finding that true joy and fulfillment. I think a lot of times there's this trap of quick gratification and pleasure that tend to leave people feeling a little bit empty versus finding actual true joy and happiness. How have you been able to find the balance of that? With tech? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely like a dopamine hit when you open that brand new box. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I experienced it too. And obviously it's not perfect, but like we're both people that have a lot of gadgets and it's quick, like we can get those quick dopamine hits. But you're also someone that's interested in mindfulness and happiness. Like how do you balance the two? You just find tech that tracks your mindfulness and happiness. <laughs> I, I think it's it's strategy. It's like really asking yourself, why am I buying this product? I was a little strategic in terms of, oh, if I make a YouTube channel and this YouTube channel makes money, then it's a business purchase. <laughs> So that's kind of my loophole. Yeah, oftentimes Shrivan says a lot of things are business purchases when we're experimenting. Well, they are. I need to make a video. <laughs> but so I was like, okay, if it makes quote unquote business sense, then that's what it's for. And then that way it allows me to separate my personal life from all the gadgets. And it's like, okay, is this a gadget that I'm consistently using? A big thing that I'm a fan of is return policy. So buy the product. See if you're actually going to use it and commit to returning it if you don't use it. Yeah. Just make sure that you're actually going to use it and is it going to integrate in your life? Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to go. So you can still try out all the things, but then just being disciplined enough to know, like check in with yourself if you're using it or not. So for those of you who've listened to my podcast before, each week I basically explore different topics to share my experience and insight on how you can kind of get back in touch with yourself and change your perspective on how you interact with yourself or your friends or the world around you so in that spirit the last question that i'm interested to know is what's something that you've recently changed your perspective on mm. 
I think I would say like friends, the people that you surround yourself with really define you, but it's about really being strict and almost like ruthless mm -hmm. in terms of who you surround yourself with, who you allow to be a part of your life. And being in New York and being so, yes, 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 I want to get out there and making friends and like giving out my number. Then you start to get a lot of messages and it becomes a little overwhelming and it's like, okay, now I have to actually filter who do I want to spend time with and it becomes a lot. So it's like, how do you make sure that you're surrounding yourself with a select few and deepening those relationships rather than just trying to create like 200,000 relationships? So that's kind of something I've been trying to take a step back. I was like, okay, maybe I should have a separate phone for like my close friends or how can I really make sure that I'm creating like a tight knit group of friends rather than just trying to be friends with everybody. Not to say no to people, but I think it's really important to have good, strong, deep relationships with people that you care about and who also care about you. Hmm. That's a great take. Uh, hopefully I'll, I'll make the cut of your new phone when you start to separate <laughs> your friends from your, you know, your outside fans from your YouTube fame. But Shervin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been an amazing conversation. And I also just want to thank you again for pushing me to make content and pursuing what I'm passionate about. Shervin, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Yeah, I guess first thing is like, thank you for having me on the number one podcast in the world. <laughs> if you enjoy her podcast, go rate it on iTunes <laughs> or Spotify. Give it five stars. I think it really helps. But they can go find me at Shervin Shares on all YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is. Are you making TikToks these days? Um, a little bit, you know, experimenting. <laughs> Amazing. I will link everything in the show notes down below. Let me know how you liked this style of episode. This was my very first guest episode. So thank you again, Shervin. I love to hear how these topics help to shift your perspective. So as always, send me a DM on the recalibrate.podcast Instagram with any thoughts or feedback. So grateful to you all for listening. And I will be back next Tuesday with another episode.